Wretched Radio begins in 3, 2, 1. We've had 35 resurrections of the dead. The closer they are to freshly dead, the easier they are to resurrect. So I see this giant angel and I asked him his name. It's a financial company. And I realized this angel is here for our finances. And that's a true literal story, by the way. These people are charlatans. And it's about time we draw a line in the sand and stop fraternizing with the wolves. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Want to get exasperated? You be the judge. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Order in the court. This is Wretched Radio. Prepare to play one of America's most exasperating game shows. Which story is more... uh, That's right. We're a sound effect. Which of these stories that I hold in my never-before-nicotine-stained fingers causes you to go, the loudest? Jimmy, as always, you are going to be the federal head representing tens and tens of people listening to this alleged wretched radio program. Are you ready, sir, to determine which story makes you go, the loudest? Uh, Too soon. I'll tell you, putting putting these in any sort of war, I go, well, no, that one's worse. And then I put another, no, that one's worse. And I know that one is worse. Here's the first story. Don't know if you hopefully didn't see the video. Joe Lowstein had some visitors at his mega church in Houston on Sunday when two women in the middle of the audience on the floor decided to stand up, strip off their clothing to protest for abortion rights. That's right, at Joel Osteen's church. Now, Jimmy, you need to know there are two elements of this story that could cause you to go, uh. One is that women would be so angry, so desiring to be able to be promiscuous without consequences, which is what second wave feminism is all about. There's, There's that aspect, that angle. But then there's also the uh, angle that why did they pick his church? He's about as pro-choice as Margaret Sanger. He's about as pro-choice <laughs> as Planned Parenthood. He's about as pro We get the point, Friel. He was on the Larry King program when Piers Morgan was sitting in. Or did they call it the Piers Morgan program? I don't know. It had those lights behind it, so it was the same set. And he was interviewed in 2011 by Piers Morgan, who was determined to cause Joel Osteen to stumble by having him state what his religious views are on subjects like marriage. I don't know, Piers, that's complicated. Questions about capital punishment and abortion. And he said this. Well, I think this was regarding a link between capital punishment and abortion because pro-choicers will say hey you want capital punishment but you don't want abortion as if there isn't a difference his response was well i think there could be when you say may or may not you know that's the troublesome thing if we don't know for sure and you know would like to do my Steve Lawson impression right now. Give, ow, give us some, I wonder if his hand hurt. See, that would be the difference between me and Steve Lawson. He smacks the podium multiple times, no problem. I hit my radio desk and I actually think I might need an emergency room visit. I'm just saying that would be one of the differences between me and Steve. 
Joel Osteen is not pro-life. He wouldn't come out and say it. He'd lose too much of his audience, which means he'd lose too much revenue. So, Jimmy, that's story number one. You can pitch, pick which aspect of that causes you to go, uh. oh, it was three women. I'm sorry. They chanted, my body, my bleeping choice. Mm. Overturn row, blank, no. Well, I'll tell you. Mm. Those pro-choicers, they got some slogan writers. They are just real. Oh, <laughs> there's also a detail that <sighs> I guess it's not worth noting. Let's just say they put something on their body that was just absolutely shocking. But that brings us to shocking story number two. Jimmy, there's going to be a new breakfast cereal. Oh, a new breakfast. There's already 10 million of them. Well, there's now there's going to be 10 million in one. <laughs> Period crunch. Do you know what uh, that is? I can. Yeah, I can imagine. Mm-hmm. It would be uterus shaped cereal. That's going to be sold in a grocery store near you called Period Crunch because the concern of this particular organization is we're just not having enough conversations about menstruation. So we need to help America to have those chats. To what end? I don't know. They claim there's stigma around it. Um, No, cereal producers, it's a natural body function. And we don't tend to talk about those in polite society. Just like any other bodily function, there's an appropriate time and place. And there's not. They have misconstrued gentility with oppression and so we need to get more conversation sparked and here's the way to do it (sighs) period crunch a box of raspberry flavored cereal shaped like uteri to raise awareness of the lack of conversations about periods in the home this is an adult who is quoted in this article announcing the cereal which you'd like to think is some sort of a joke but it's not apparently This is a gynecologist. That means you're about to hear the words of somebody who probably drives a car, who no doubt is able to put her right shoe on her right foot and her left shoe on her left foot, who sees patients and helps them with medical issues. Here's the quote from that person. To help raise awareness of the ongoing social stigma around periods, gynecologist, whatever her name is, said, quote, periods are a natural part of who we are. Exactly. So it's deeply concerning to hear that so many people remain uncomfortable discussing them when they're just another part of our health. I, 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 every, what drives ideology like this? It's ideology. What causes somebody to think like this? It's because they see everything through a lens of oppression, that women are being oppressed. Therefore, the reason that people don't talk about it is because, well, it's a woman's issue. Back to the quote. It's heartbreaking to hear that. I'm sorry, my heart's getting broken, too, but for a totally different reason. It's heartbreaking to hear that 25 percent of people have taught themselves about periods when there's support available. I look forward to period crunch, kickstarting some difficult conversations and breaking down barriers. 
over the breakfast table. Yep. I can't think of a better place <laughs> to do just that. Jimmy, that would be story number two. That's uh, that's pretty bad. Uh, let me just try again, because <laughs> British healthcare under fire because at an abortion clinic, they found aborted babies in the cupboard. The fetal remains were kept in a cupboard at room temperature for up to two weeks. The British Pregnancy Advisory Service failed to apologize, saying the concerns have been addressed. Um, if you're pro-choice, this isn't a concern. This story shouldn't cause you to go, uh-huh. It should cause somebody who is pro-life to go, uh-huh, because those are human beings treated so lowly, disrespectfully, so brutally. What a bunch of bullies pro-choicers are. They shouldn't be upset. If, if there were a breaking story, let's just say that the police broke in to a dermatologist's office and discovered in the cupboard there were a bunch of moles that had been removed sitting there. Nobody would care because they know it's just a mole. But we do care because we know that it is a human being regardless of the size. Jimmy? Babies left in a cupboard in Great Britain. Yep. That's, that's story number three. Yeah, that's that's getting worse. Mm -hmm. I, I, <laughs> I don't know which one is worse. <sighs> Here is the alleged story that allegedly has been allegedly reported. I understand that there are times to say allegedly. I get that. But it was rather interesting to me that the New York Post used the A word a lot when describing a pregnancy center that was pro-life was firebombed. This is Buffalo. A lot going on in Buffalo these days. Graffiti was scrawled on a wall that said, Jane was here. Who's Jane? It's a abortion terrorist group called Jane's Revenge. They were also responsible for the one that you saw in Madison, Wisconsin last month. These are people who wrote on the wall, if abortions aren't safe, then you aren't either. In the meantime, we keep pushing more and more funds toward protecting abortion clinics. But have you heard anybody in politics, anybody at a high level, decry and denounce these fire bombings? Cue the crickets. Jimmy, that's story number four. Here's your recap, if you don't mind. You be the judge. Not that recap. <laughs> Joel Osteen had some visitors. Period crunch. Mm. Babies in cupboards firebombing pro-life centers which one is most uh, i would say number three maybe so, yeah baby parts in the cupboards why because that's that's disgusting i mean it shouldn't be done well it's it's it, it, it shows the barbarity yeah. of our current culture we look all sophisticated we have freeways and we have internet technology but that is absolutely barbaric this is Wretched Radio. The situation in Ukraine appears to be a long and winding and rather scary road. Tomorrow clubs are still in Ukraine. There are still club leaders there. There are still Christians who are willing to help other Christians with the very basic necessities of life. Would you have the ability to help some of our brothers and sisters in Ukraine? 
to simply receive the bare necessities. I know that Cindy Marty is extremely grateful for your support. There just are really no words to describe the gratitude that we have. Believe me, the children and families in Ukraine are so grateful. Thank you so much for your prayers and support. Tomorrow Club's still alive and well, but dealing with the dangers of Ukraine. If you think that you could support some believers there, please visit tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched, tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Have you ever wanted to break bread with Todd? If so, you probably shouldn't. The guy chews with his mouth open. But let me tell you about our newest production here at Wretched. It's called Breaking Bread, and Todd sits down with a special guest each quarter to discuss pertinent issues Christians are facing. Guests like Phil Johnson, Daryl Harrison, Steve Lawson, Justin Peters, Ray Comfort, Tim Challies, and others. Those guys were selfless, and they sacrificed themselves for you. They sat down and broke bread with Todd, so you don't have to. You'll be able to view a brand new Breaking Bread each quarter totally free on the Wretched YouTube channel. Hear topics like racism, aging and dying well, shepherding a child's heart, the fear of evangelism, how not to be a discernment jerk, and more were all discussed on Breaking Bread, which is another production made possible by our gospel partners. To learn more about becoming a Wretched Gospel Partner, just visit wretched.org slash donate. And to learn more about Breaking Bread, visit wretched.org slash breaking bread. Yep. I get it. The thought of not having traditional health insurance, it just feels kind of scary. I would like to encourage you to discover what Mrs. Friel and I have learned about MediShare. It is affordable biblical health sharing. 400,000 Christians strong. This is no fly-by-night organization, a ministry that has existed for 27 years and they have covered together over $4 billion in medical expenses. Please be encouraged to at least check out metashare.com slash wretched. The average family will save approximately $500 per month and you can sleep at night knowing that MediShare is sound, affordable, biblical health sharing. MediShare.com slash wretched. Important dates in Christian history. 1854. Charles Haddon Spurgeon becomes pastor in London and will go on to become one of the most influential pastors ever. He was the central figure in defending the gospel against compromise during the downgrade controversy. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. The question is why. We see something like this happening, and I'm sure your parishioners also ask you why. Indeed they do. This is Wretched Radio, Tulsa, Oklahoma, bucolic town, rural center. Never anticipated they'd experience a mass shooting, but they did. People murdered inside of a building in cold blood, and the community is left reeling, confused, frightened, grieving, mourning, and curious. Why? Why do these things happen? To the credit of Channel 2, they decided to approach two of Tulsa's largest faith leaders, to unearth the theological explanation for why evil exists. And what you're about to hear is a pretty big swing and a pretty big miss. The pastor, you might remember, 
Pastor, I was going to say spit. Expect, expectorate? Is that the, the, the fancy word for spitting? <laughs> yeah, I think so. He expectorated into his hand and then smeared it all over somebody's face on the platform and the Sunday morning sermon. This is his effort to comfort a grieving people. Now, to be clear, it's not that he doesn't say anything sort of biblical, but wow, what little hope this man actually had to share with a grieving community. One of the things that we've understood is these type of things have no real explanation. Really? No real explanation? Nothing? We don't have an answer in Genesis? You know, that old fall story, the old man ushering in sin, nothing about the total depravity of the human heart because of the fall, no explanation whatsoever. Huh. That's the kookiest thing. The world we live in, there are so many wicked and evil things that happen that it seems like we have to endure. That's it. Grin and bear it. Just a lot of lot of evil out there. So you're just gonna you're just gonna have to figure it out. Now he does try to get biblical. And so okay, we recognize that, but oh, it doesn't go nearly far enough. One of the things that we know is that weeping may endure for a night, but we really believe that joy comes in the morning. Fair enough. That's a Bible verse. That is certainly a truism. The question is, how does joy come in the morning? It might not be tomorrow morning. It might not be next year morning. It might be an eternal morning when we awaken in heaven and experience eternal joy. Furthermore, where do we find our joy? If you're watching this, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you're not going to hear anything about Jesus you're not going to hear anything about forgiveness of sins. You're, you're not going to hear any warnings to repent, lest you likewise perish. You will hear nothing that is helpful for people. And this is an evangelical faith leader. And even as we stand here in the night after such a horrific tragedy, um, our community, this, this Tulsa community is going to do what I believe we do every time we're faced with tragedy. We're going to hold out for hope until the morning. And we believe something good is going to come from this horrible situation. Okie dokie. That apparently is an allusions to Romans chapter 8, that all things work together for good to those who are his. Uh, but does that make sense to anybody who's watching this? The, the, the question is, why does this stuff happen? And he had many avenues he could have taken. He could have gone to the garden to explain it. He could talked about the evil that is lurking in every person's heart. He could have pointed them toward eternal hope. Oh, there is a glorious place awaiting for those who are hidden in Christ. My message to the community, if you're not a Christian, you better get saved tonight. Because death is imminent for all of us. Please run to the Savior. And if you're a Christian, remember that your Savior, he wept at the death of a friend. He is a caring Savior. He is a good, sympathetic high priest. Be comforted. Grab your Bible. Read the Psalms. Find comfort. Don't look to peace 
to find your peace. Don't look for a community that never experiences anything tragic to find your satisfaction. You need to look to Jesus Christ. But we didn't hear Jesus' name mentioned even once in that presentation. There was another pastor who participated in this. He did slightly better. He actually said people need a savior. Props for that. But then they went back to Pastor Spittle. We've talked about coming together. What do you think? One of the things that I really believe that we can do right now is meet people's tangible needs. Well, there's something uniquely Christian, not. (laughs) They could have brought on the secular psychologist, and frankly, they probably did. And he would have offered that. This is a megachurch faith leader dressed up like a barber, frankly. Apparently, he didn't know that he was going to be on television that night representing Jesus Christ and his congregation. Offering some practical help? Okay. We should be offering a whole lot more than that. But somehow, this conversation ended up taking a pretty big turn. Um, There are four families that we know of that tonight are going to be grieving the loss of a family member. Um, We found out about one of them before we came on air, and it's a young lady that's still in school, and her mother was tragically taken. These people are going to need help in the days to come. They're not. Amen to that. Just going to need our prayers. They're going to need resources. They're going to need people to help come around them. They're going to need counseling. And and I just believe as a community, no matter if we're white or we're black. Hold on. Um, Where did this come from? What was the necessity of this? Counseling. And I just believe as a community, no matter if we're white or we're black, no matter if we're Democrat or Republican, no matter the age, the gender, we need to come together and see how we can be the arms and the feet of love. (laughs) Well, if you're not in Christ, you can't. This is one of the effects of allowing men to assume the pastoral office they do not end up helping people inevitably they end up hurting people if you remember the initial question was why why did why did this thing happen now i recognize that there is a time and a place to explain the theological reason for evil i get that but we don't hear anything anywhere near that little platitudes bromides practical tips no explanation about evil and what god's role is because you've got to know that there are people who are going hey where's where's god in this deal where is god in this and we need to be able to pastorally wisely with discretion explain at the right time he's sovereign over all And that raises a question, well, then, isn't he culpable, guilty of evil atrocities? And the definitive answer is absolutely not. God does not make anybody do anything horrible. It comes from us. We are totally culpable for the evil acts. How does that work? You may recall when we studied reprobation and the sovereignty of God, God is the ultimate cause but he uses proximate causes. It will be bad ideologies, false religious systems. 
and those will influence then the effective cause, which in this instance would be the shooter. Do you see the degrees of separation between the actual evil act and God himself? God is using sin sinlessly as the black backdrop that makes his wonderful, merciful attributes shine. That's why evil exists. Now, might not be the time or the place, but we do have answers. So what else might this fellow have said? You know what? We want to we use our hands and feet to run to these people, but we need to also use our hands and feet to run to the Savior because we all have evil lurking in our hearts. We all need forgiveness of sins. Please don't let this tragedy pass you by. See your need for a Savior. That's what Jesus was saying regarding the Tower of Siloam. See your need for a Savior. Get the message. You're going to perish, and it will be eternal. Run to Jesus. There was an evangelistic opportunity here. Furthermore, he could have said, and if you're a Christian, you need to run to Jesus too. He's a sympathetic high priest. He is good. He is merciful. He is kind. He wept at the death of a friend. He cares, so cast your cares upon him. Grab your Bible. Use your hands to turn its pages. Use your feet to run to church, to fellowship with other believers. Because we Christians, we do have a hope. We grieve and we mourn at these tragedies. They are wicked indeed. And yet, we don't grieve as those without hope. If you don't have that hope, I encourage you to turn to the sympathetic high priest, Jesus Christ. Maybe he could have said something like that. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. A conservative group has launched a new movement that's designed to keep LGBT books aimed at children off the shelves at public libraries. The movement is called Hide the Pride, and supporters are encouraged to locate and check out all the LGBT content they can from their local library to keep it out of the view of children. Most libraries will replenish the filth, but many will not. Maybe it's something that will have some success. Only time will tell. Maybe what I'm about to say is common knowledge to the rest of you. But honestly, I just learned that the police in the UK carry tasers, but not firearms. I had no idea. But that's not the story here. On June 4th, in London, police were called to a bridge where a man had a screwdriver and threatened others with that screwdriver. Police showed up, they tased the man several times, and the man, in an attempt to escape, jumped off the bridge to his death. The British woke leftists are now saying that this was all because of racism. Now, if you watch the video, you'll see plenty of common sense details that easily debunk the racism claim. But the biggest and the most glaring has to be that the man with the screwdriver was a black man. The police officer that tased him, also black. Okay, I do realize I can sometimes be a little bit sarcastic, just slightly though. But this, this is an honest question. Parents, why do you send your kids to school? To help them prepare for life, get ready for the workforce, learn how to interact and be social with others, learn the necessary skills they're going to need to be productive and successful as adults. Yeah, none of those are wrong answers, but I'm fairly certain no one is sending their child to school hoping that the teacher brings in drag queens to show the kids how to apply makeup. But it is happening at one middle school in New York City at the moment, a school that's being funded with your tax dollars. 
A new bathroom bill passed by Oklahoma lawmakers will protect students' privacy and, more importantly, their safety. The new law requires students to use bathrooms that are based on their biological sex at birth. You know, it really is hard not to get in your flesh when you see stories like this. As I've said before, I'm happy laws like this are being passed, but I'm sad and frustrated that we live in a time in this world where taxpayers' money has to be wasted to tell people which bathrooms that they honestly need to use. In a recent move by the Ohio House, a resolution was passed urging the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom to add Canada to the special watch list of countries where the government is liberal, I mean, where the government engages in violations of religious freedom. The resolution uses several examples of violations, including Pastor James Coates being jailed for 35 days for holding religious services last year. If you remember, in 2021, Missouri Senator Josh Hawley also requested Canada be added to the watch list. That didn't happen, of course, and, well, things have continued getting worse. Will it happen this time? Probably not. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible It is not certain who the human author of the book of Hebrews was. However, it is certain that the ultimate author is the Holy Spirit. The message of Hebrews is an exhortation to faith in Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new covenant. When you want to see how God foreshadowed and fulfilled the gospel in the Old Testament, look to Hebrews. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Do you need a little forgiveness? This is Wretched Radio. Yeah, I know you need a lot of forgiveness from Jesus, but that is not the angle I'm inspecting. Do you need forgiveness granted to those who have harmed you? Do you struggle to let it go? How do you put an evil act that was perpetrated against you in the deepest part of the ocean and not keep bringing it up and not feel its consequences forever? How do we forgive when people sin against us? Well, thanks to some very practical help from Joshua Greiner, forgiveness is first and foremost a decision of the will. Now, this applies to virtually every temptation. We're commanded to forgive. So if somebody sinned against you and you don't forgive, um, that means you're sinning. Now, there's other sins we commit during the course of a day. Anger, anxiety that is a faithless worrying. We get really torqued at people, frustrated with the kids. We look at women with lust. All of these sins have the same Response, it is a decision of the will as to whether or not you are going to act upon your inclination or not, because that is exactly what is going on in our hearts. We have options. When something squeezes us, it is God's gift of kindness to reveal what's in there. And if we're not thinking Christians who submit our wills to the word of God, we are going to follow our basest inclination. I've got an opportunity in the moment to choose sin or the Savior. Every single time you're confronted with a temptation, you have a worship decision to make. Am I going to worship this sinful thing by giving my attention and obedience to it, or am I going to worship Jesus Christ? That is, that is, a, that is the question that should be asked any single time that you're tempted. The act of the will to bring about good fruit 
is demanded. In other words, we've got to do stuff. Now, it's all empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is a synergistic work, but we still have to work toward it. So let's make this practical. Practical. I want to. You were wounded. It hurts. And nobody's denying that. And nobody is offering you a cup of platitudes. Well, you'll get over it. Uh, Worse things have happened to other people. No, we don't offer those Job like (laughs) comforting, his counselor's comforting statements. But the individual in that moment needs to stop and ask Am I going to decide to forgive this person or not? Am am I going to do it or aren't I? Now, your inclination might not be to grant forgiveness. That's your flesh, and it's calling, and it's barking. Don't listen to it. What does God want me to do? He wants me to forgive. I am going to decide to do this, and then you act upon that decision. Lord, that person sinned against me. Vengeance is yours. I leave this at your feet. This deed, it will be dealt with either at the cross of Calvary or by you when a sinner is punished for eternity in hell. One way or another, Lord, vengeance is yours, and I rest in that. Help me to heal from this and help help me to genuinely forgive and treat this sinful person the way you've treated me. You cast my sins in the deepest part of the ocean. You don't dredge them up. You don't throw them in my face. You don't use them to harm me. Help me to be like you. And then you forgive, and you go about the business of living in that state that you have willed. Now, this particular article, The Call to Forgive, offers some really practical, helpful information. That the, the choice that we make as persons who have been wronged and slighted comes from deep convictions about our own sinfulness, about God's mercy and grace toward us, and a belief that we should extend that mercy to as many as we can. So when you have been sinned against, suddenly you've got a theological decision to make. What's going to inform my response to this? And the answer is an understanding of self. Yikes, I've done way more and way worse to Jesus than this person has ever done to me. God is a merciful God. He's forgiven me. This person is potentially lost, or if they're a Christian, they sin grievously. I'm concerned about their soul because I want them to walk in the joy of salvation It's a theological decision, and you can make the decision to forgive. Now, the question is, how do you get there? How do you get to that place? Here are some commitments that you can make today. Now, maybe you're still feeling the effects of something sinful that happened to you. These these still apply, but if you are living currently in the land of, no, I haven't been slighted, I haven't been disrespected, I haven't been dishonored, I haven't been slandered, get these commitments into you and commit to these commitments. Have these convictions because it'll help you once you do experience sin against you because you're going to, it's going to happen. So how's about taking a look at these commitments? Number one, A decision not to dwell on the sin, but to dwell on Christ. It's a decision. Remember, 
We're talking about an act of the will involving the person to grant forgiveness means I've got to be thinking theologically. I am going to dwell on what is pure, what is lovely, what is worthy of praise. In other words, God, I'm going to focus on him, not on this awful event. Now, I understand it's there. You might need to talk about it. You, you can think it through, consider the consequences. What should some of your next steps be? We're focusing on forgiveness here. A heart that desires to forgive. And the way that you can do that is by committing, I'm going to focus more on Jesus than this sinful thing that was done to me. I'm going to focus on the better thing from the article. A person who has been sinned against may at times recall the offense while doing mundane things. You don't think you have any sort of control over a recollection. It just, boink, it pops in there. While that is true, you may have little control over recalling the sin. You have a choice of dwelling on that sin. You can choose to dwell on the sin, how much you were hurt, or you can choose to dwell on the things that Christ calls you to dwell on, whatever is true, lovely, worthy of praise. So don't just think, okay, well, I'm just going to pretend it never happened. No, it's going to come up, but don't dwell there. Turn to Jesus. See how, see how he wants to use something bad for something good? Don't dwell on the sin. Dwell on Jesus. Now, it's not easy to do this. You'll need to prepare for battle to do this. It might include drafting a list of things to dwell on instead of the evil that was done to you. It might include choosing to worship God in the moment instead of dwelling on your situation. That's a practical tip. You've been hurt. It comes up, the idea, the remember, the remembrance of this awful atrocity that was committed against you. Worship the Lord because you're turning your attention away from the sin and to Christ. Commitment two: a decision not to gossip, but to speak well of others. Whoa, I'm commanded to do that. I'm commanded to not gossip. I'm commanded to speak well of others. Commit to that now. It's going to happen. You're going to get you're going to get whacked by somebody. That's going to happen to me from Jimmy by the end of the day. I am certain of it. I'm making a plan. It would, wouldn't be a day <laughs> without Jimmy. When we're sinned against, one of the first desires we might have is to get revenge for ourselves. But when a person chooses to forgive someone, they're promising not to gossip about the issue. You got to be done talking about the problem unless something needs to be dealt with. That's fine. But don't be talking to others about it. We need to choose to speak well of others, to say good things about them. People need to be benefited by your comments of another human being. Commitment three, a decision not to bring it up for their hurt, but to restore. Let's say a husband has asked his wife forgiveness for an outburst of anger against her. She granted forgiveness, but later, if they have an argument about something, she can't bring it up. As, the, as a tool to hurt him in the fight. Yeah, well, at least I don't get angry like you did last Tuesday. That would be a violation of what it means to grant forgiveness. But let's say she's trying to care for her husband and love him the way Christ calls her to. And she sees her husband angry. Honey, do you notice that when you speak to me, you can present a heart of anger? You did it last Tuesday and, and you're doing it again. Because we want to help people, because we recognize that we are to be helping people grow in sanctification, not using their sins against us as a billy club. Commitment number four, a decision not to allow this to ruin the relationship, but to look for opportunities to love. 
One must choose not to allow the relationship to be ruined by sin. If you've experienced a sin against you, start working through these things. And if you are not experiencing sin committed against you, and I don't know who that person is, make these commitments. Get them firmly planted in your heart. This is how I will respond when sin happens to me. This is Wretched Radio. Are we heading toward a dystopian society? Who decides what is good and evil? Who decides what truth is? Are there such things as fate or free will? Morals? Are we born with those? Or does the culture we live in inform them? Those are all really good questions and topics that we tackle daily on Wretched Radio and TV. Our goal has always been to preach the gospel, equip others to preach the gospel, and strengthen the local church. And we're only able to do that with the help of our gospel partners. If you are a Wretched Gospel partner, thank you so much for your support, which has allowed us to create compelling quality productions that catch the eye of unbelievers, but aren't so cringy they make believers blush. And if you aren't currently, would you pray about becoming a monthly Wretched Gospel partner? Help us continue to reach millions all over the world with the gospel. Just visit wretched.org donate, or you can also just as easily text the word wretched to the number 44321. Sadly, it is not only the world that chooses to end the lives of their babies, but it is also young people in the church. Even in youth group, a friend of mine and I, we made lists of abortion clinics and we would pray for them. And we, our plan was to go to these clinics and to pray for those people. And then here's just something that I, you know, it was against my core beliefs something that I never wanted to do and I did it so many regrets oh if only there were Christian pro-life centers wait a second there are all over the country preborn.org preaching the gospel giving free ultrasound saving babies saving mommies would you please consider supporting preborn $28 an ultrasound perhaps per month preborn.org slash wretched why do we believe so much in biblical counseling? And it's comments like these. I just haven't thought of it that way. Pretty intense, huh? Those are comments from real people receiving real biblical counseling for real issues in season one of Transformed. Released this year, Transformed is like nothing else you'll see on Christian TV. You're a fly on the wall witnessing real biblical counseling sessions. With Dr. Greg Gifford, professor of biblical counseling at the Masters University, he's our host and biblical counselor conducting these sessions, which deal with issues like anxiety, OCD, anger, trauma, depression, and much more. And Dr. Dale Johnson, the executive director of ACBC, is our other host. Dr. Johnson chalk talks the sessions to provide a deeper understanding of biblical counseling. Transformed is truly a one-of-a-kind production, providing you with an up-close look at the hope and relief only the Bible can provide. Transformed, from brokenness to wholeness. And it's available now at transformed.org. Attributes of God What does God's patience look like? 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 
God is not hurried, nor has He forgotten His promises. God will bring about the fulfillment of His eternal plan in due time. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. So an Anglican and a Presbyterian walk into a radio program. This is Wretched Radio. Kevin D. Young, Presbyterian pastor with nine children. I'll... No, they don't homeschool, Jimmy. When you've got nine kids, you are a school. (laughs) And you're doing a lot of sprinkling is what you're doing as a Presbyterian with nine kids. Kevin DeYoung is a whip-smart pastor. This guy is a thoughtful thinker. He's pastoral in his delivery. And, And Kevin, we need to pray for him because I suspect he got beat up a lot as a kid because he's the one who wrecked the curve for the rest of us. I'm telling you, the guy is smart. He is, he's like Star Trek Green skulled people. I think they were green. Do you remember the Star Trek episode where the big heads, they would communicate just by moving their brain? They wouldn't have to talk to each other. They were the big brain people. That's Kevin DeYoung. That's that's what he is, a big brain guy. And he just wrote an article about Pride Month that caused me to have many aha moments. And perhaps it will help you to have some also. He begins by going back. Initially conceived in 1970, this is where Pride Month began, 1970, to commemorate the first anniversary of the Stonewall Riots, Pride Month has become a government-promoted, corporate-sponsored, 30-day celebration of LGB, etc., acceptance and achievements. When rioters threw bricks and tried to burn down the Stonewall Inn in Greenwich Village, with police officers barricaded inside, by the way, even the most optimistic gay liberation proponent could not have dreamed that an illegally operated, mafia-owned gay bar would eventually join the Statue of Liberty in the Grand Canyon on the select list of protected national monuments. They've come a long way, baby, and they've done it through good marketing. Through strategizing, they recognized it's a tough sell to get an awful lot of Christians to change their mind about what the Bible says on this subject. How can we get them to acquiesce or to at least go, well, I won't, air quote, impose my values on you. This is the story. By linking gay liberation to pride, LGBTQ advocates hit upon an ethical and strategic coup. The rallying cry of pride transformed their quest for culture-wide moral legitimacy, a daunting task, into a personal plea for therapeutic well-being. In other words, by using pride, letting people be themselves, not being discriminated against, Don't you want that for people? And it's no longer a moral conversation. It's about being nice to people. And it is powerful. And frankly, it doesn't just work. It has worked from Kevin. The debate would not be a head-on rational discussion about whether the sexual revolution was acceptable by the standards of God's word or natural law or even Western tradition. The debate would not be about what was good for children good for the public, or even those who are drawn to LGP, etc. behavior. Instead, pride made the debate about feelings of personal acceptance. That is why this argument is also applied to children when it comes to gender confusion. This is why 
the person who was campaigning to become the president of the United States and currently sits in the White House, when asked about an eight-year-old's desire to change gender, said, you go, girl, boy, whatever you, they, you go, they, from the president of the United States. Why? Because we want, do you want to oppress this little child? Do you want him to be suicidal? Do you want him to be unhappy? Don't you want them to live complete and full lives without shame? It is a therapeutic argument. It is a feelings-driven argument, and it is helpful. And I think we could learn a little something from this. We, we do need to recognize when you confront somebody in their sin, this sin perhaps, particularly, it's a big deal. I don't think that we should kind of forget about that and treat it call it this this is a big deal this is a big confrontation and we need to recognize that they are going to feel like we're coming at them because we hate them because we don't want them to be happy we want more for them than that we want them to have joy that's what we want for them we don't we don't want your happiness which is fleeting we want you to have joy, and the only way that joy is created and sustained is if you have your faith in the right object, if your desires are in alignment with God's will and not your own. Back to Kevin DeYoung explaining what in the world went on. How did this happen? Changing the culture is hard work, and it takes a long time. 50 years, it turns out. Convincing people to stop making other people feel bad is a much easier sell. And it has worked, hasn't it? Even today, pride can be difficult to refute on an emotive level. That would be instructive for us if you are engaged in a conversation with a person of this particular sin. And by the way, Ray Comfort just witnessed to two guys at whatever pier he was on in California. It doesn't need to be nasty. I know these guys heard that Ray cared for them. I, I know they heard it because they didn't get mad at him. And they, they literally, when being confronted, and he spelled it out, he was 1 Corinthians 6 in them. You'll not inherit the kingdom of God. And they literally asked, well, what am I supposed to do now? What am I supposed to do? And he gave them the gospel, of course. We need to be confronting people in their sin, but we need to be aware of the emotive aspect and raise the conversation above feelings into the realm of truth. Otherwise, you're going to lose. You, you, you can't win the emotive argument. By marching for pride instead of marching for gay sex or sex change operations for kids, the public isn't asked to affirm actions and appearances they often instinctively find distasteful. They're asked to affirm that people should not feel ashamed of themselves. That's a powerful, persuasive argument, and it's winning the day. That's why we proclaim, thus saith the Lord. We can talk about your feelings, but feelings sit at the end of the auditorium when it comes to the subject of morality and truth and values. Those who hold to biblical standards of sex and sexuality are forced to play the entire game on their side of the 50-yard line. Do you really want people to feel bad? Do you want to make people suffer? Aren't you concerned about suicide and self-loathing? How can anyone be against pride if the alternative is violent, morbid, relentless shame? In other words, this argument is a Mott and Bailey. You remember the Mott and Bailey, the strong tower? It's the place where we reside in unity, agreeing on a value or a principle. But then you go out into the Bailey, the marketplace, and you disseminate the ideas. 
and they change radically from what was agreed upon in the MOT. And then you tag them on that, and then they run back to the MOT. So it looks like this. Do you want people to feel bad? No, of course not. Well, we agree. We don't want people to feel bad. Down to the Bailey they go. We need to be promoting and have pride over people's sexual expressions. Uh, wait a second. Um, hold on. Don't you want people to be free and experience joy? Well, yeah, but that's not the thing that we ding, we've been Martin Bailey'd on the subject. And I'm not sure that there's any clever way around feelings. I, I get it. I understand. But that's true of all sins. God asks us to deny the flesh, pick up our cross, follow him. And it's not just sexual sins. It's all sins. It's, it, it's, it's the demand on all of us. Is it easy? No, of course not. Our flesh craves things. But the question is, do we want to feed the flesh for a season or do we want to be godly and enjoy him forever? We need to elevate the conversation out of feelings and into the realm of truth. Otherwise, I, I don't think you're going to win. A quote from the article from Kevin DeYoung that I thought was helpful, too, to explain what it is that we are seeing these days. If you need the world of sports, entertainment, education, media, and government to celebrate your sexuality in order to feel proud, maybe your conscience is trying to tell you something. That's helpful. But an Anglican also walked into a radio station. This is a fellow I've seen a little bit. His name is Calvin Robinson. The headline is, why do white middle-class clergy find it so hard to accept that I don't see racism lurking in every corner? It's really, really smart guy who speaks in a way that causes you to go, okay, I get that. He's a black man, and he was studying to become an Anglican priest. But guess what? They denied him. They actually were paying for him to go to Oxford. They were paying for him to become an Anglican priest. They paid 20,000 pounds, ultimately blocking his ordination because he said, you know, uh, I don't think there's systemic racism. Uh, I, I don't think that exists. And what he learned is that inside of the Anglican communion is that the, the mantra of systemic racism will not be battled against or we will just block your ordination. He's had to run off to another communion to find a place to serve. What do we learn from this? We got to elevate the conversation. You, you, you dabble in the realm of CRT, you're, you're not going to go anywhere. You're going to beat your head against a wall. Instead, elevate it into the realm of Bible. Let the debate, whether it is pride or whether it is CRT, be based in the Bible. Otherwise, I got to tell you, you don't have a chance. Until tomorrow, go serve your king.